What's up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown. I am your host, Hayden Vozar, and I'm here with one of your co-hosts, Matt Vozar. I've upgraded him to a co-host. How are you doing, Matt? Well, uh, I mean, I'll take the title of co-host, but let's be real. I'm the, I'm the only person that people come here to listen to. Come on now. Yeah, who does the intro and outro, though? Me. So yeah, I should be the host. Arguably, that could get a little bit better. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, you see, I'm working on it as I go along. Okay, this is it's, it's a process. You gotta trust the process. Trust the process, unlike yeah. Ben Simmons did in Philadelphia. Yeah, he did the opposite of that, and he should be ridiculed for that. Anyway, so today is our normal cast of characters. We've got NFL, college football, and then, as promised from last episode, we're gonna get into NBA and NHL talk. And it should be a fun episode. You know, there's not there's not a holiday segment in this one, but we will get to that next week. So that's something that we'll promise for next week. So getting right into it. NFL, our first topic of the day. We wanted to talk about Sean McVay and the Rams and basically obvious, basically the, the big news of this whole weekend was OBJ to the Rams and how will that play out? And this is pretty, pretty familiar because the Rams just two weeks ago got Von Miller, right? So within two weeks, they got two veterans on the same team and they were both activated last night. Von Miller didn't play the first week, but he played last night. And obviously OBJ played last night, a limited amount, but nonetheless, he played. So our question here is, with Sean McVay getting these veterans in the middle of the season, is this a viable strategy for building a team? And is it sustainable going forward, Matt? I think it, I think it definitely is. And, and we talked about this a little bit uh, you know, kind of leading into it last week. And, and obviously, you know, we saw on Monday night how the Rams took a, a pretty, pretty, pretty bad loss to the 49ers. Um, and that makes it two straight losses, two straight primetime losses um, against, you know, pretty good teams, but, but nonetheless, you know, pretty, pretty much beatdowns on prime time for the Rams. And so, you know, before that, before these two losses, you had people saying, oh, the Rams are the undeniably the best team in the NFC. They're, you know, they're, they're the front runner for the Super Bowl. You know, Matthew Stafford's playing out of his mind. He finally has a good team around him. Sean McVay finally has the quarterback that he wants because he's gotten rid of Jared Goff. And, behind all of this you have the strategy that Sean McVay is employing which has been he's been doing this for years now which is sign veteran players who are proven talent in the NFL and essentially give up all your draft picks right and for the past few years we've been praising teams like the Dolphins and like the Eagles who have compiled all these draft picks um but what do they have to show for it right at the end of the day like those teams aren't really that good. They're not winning in the NFL. Whereas the Rams, I mean, ever since Sean McVay's gotten there, they've gotten to the playoffs, you know, seemingly every year they got to a Super Bowl with, with Jared Goff. And, and so, you know, you kind of have this strategy that like, well, why do we, why do you need draft picks if you can sign veteran players who've already proven that they're good? And it's just at the end of the day, like the math on converting a draft pick, especially a first round draft pick to, an extremely good talented player who will bring value to your organization as a starting player. It just doesn't make sense a lot of the time. And so it, it, you know, it comes down to the fact that, you know, Sean McVay is just like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take my players who I know are good and, and just give away the picks who like, you know, maybe there's like a 50% chance, probably even lower than that. Um, you know, that, that, that player ends up being, being good. And so, um, and so I think it's a good strategy and clearly it's worked out. I think Jalen Ramsey is a perfect example of this. He gave up two first round picks for Jalen Ramsey, but you know, what have the, what have the Jaguars gotten out of those first, the, the, the two first round picks? They got Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Okay. How that's, how's that going this season? You know? And, and so, yeah, the argument could be made, the Jaguars, you know, that they, they, they need to completely rebuild. They don't have enough talent around them, but right. The, the Rams have gotten really good with Jalen Ramsey on their defense and the Jaguars have, have, have definitely decreased um, across the board on the talent with their defense. So um, I think it's clear. It's, 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 it's a pretty clear, you know, 
result that the Rams have gotten better using this strategy of signing veteran players and trading away draft picks. And I think, you know, these last two weeks aren't necessarily uh, gonna, gonna, you know, affect what should be said about how this strategy is working in the NFL. Um, you know, you're going to run, you're going to run into road bumps. That's just the nature of, you know, an NFL season. Um, and so, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see going forward, but I think another argument to this case is that, the Rams definitely have a win now team. You have Matthew Stafford, who's the quarterback, who's been in the NFL for, I guess, you know, almost 15 years now. Um, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, they're in their prime. And so you can't necessarily expect Sean McVay to be and, and you know, the Rams, uh, you know, personnel uh, people to be. You can't really expect them to be, you know, trying to build their team around draft picks when a lot of their players are proven veterans already. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. You know, and, and I think that, you know, it definitely is a viable strategy going forward. But, you know, I think only time will tell to see whether or not, you know, the Rams actually succeed in, in doing this now while they have their good players in, in their prime um, or if they're going to keep, you know, continuing to trade away their draft picks. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Matt on this one. But before you skip through my part of this segment, because Matt did cover the bulk of, of what we're going to talk about here. But I just want to add that. In, in the NFL draft, right, there's over 200 total picks in the NFL draft. This is kind of just to put this in perspective, if you, you know, if you haven't really thought about it this way. But there's over 200 picks in the NFL draft. And in case you don't know how many players are on an NFL roster, there's 53 players on every NFL roster. So if you think about it, that's four whole teams, four full NFL teams of guys getting drafted, right? And if you think about it, dude, how many – third third through sixth round picks are actually like playing in the NFL or actually doing something basically for their team. It's a very low percentage. Like Matt said, it's, it's def- definitely under 50% of all the total draft picks. Right. And so if you think about it, dude, there's such a, such a small pool of players that actually contribute to their team. And I mean, we've seen first rounders just be complete duds. Right. And so Matt does have a point with this, with, with the notion of, you know, if you can get a player that you know is going to perform well, then you get that player and maybe you have to build a better environment around him, such as the OBJ situation, which we know that OBJ's environment has a lot to do with how he performs. But if you, if you can do that, I mean, an NFL team can adapt their environment, environment to a veteran that's coming in. And if, if you give an NFL veteran, the environment that they need, it's, I mean, it's, it's going to work out because you know that they have the talent, you know that they have the skill to play. Now, I think in terms of this is kind of the second thing I'm going to say in terms of the losses that the, that the Rams have had the past two weeks in prime time, right. Which is, you know, it's not, not, it doesn't mean anything more to their record or to how good of a team they are, but I mean, it is in prime time. And so everybody, more people are seeing it than, than if it was just a one o'clock game on Sunday, but the 49ers are, they've just had the Rams number for the past, I don't know, like three years or something. They've beaten them um, five actually, straight times now. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so the, like the 49ers, they, they, they have the Rams number and it was my, my buddy, Will actually um, my, my roommate in college. Okay. He actually was going to bet on the 49ers last night money line which he should have done and he he was mad about it last night that and i was telling him not to okay i was, there you go, I was will. last night yeah <laughs> yeah will's actually sitting next to me right now but um yeah and so he he wanted to bet money line for for the 49ers to win and obviously i mean they crushed the rams and that was a good pick i mean i didn't i didn't know before last night that they had that they had beaten the the rams you know four or five straight times and so yeah i mean it, i think that's just the case of the 49ers just, you know, teams, teams like that, like that, in the, like we see teams like that in the NFL all the time where a good team is just losing to the same team time and time after again. And that doesn't really, that doesn't really say much about their record. It just says something about their history, you know, but yeah, I think, I think Matt made a great point about, you know, about veterans just being more reliable and draft picks just being, you know, you're kind of just hoping, you know, hoping or throwing a prayer up there. And maybe, you know, sometimes the draft pick comes down with it. But 
Yeah, and I think the, the, the other kind of side of this is, okay, it's great when you sign veteran players, but what happens when those veteran players have been elsewhere and have caused problems? And I think that's kind of the, the case that we have now with Odell Beckham Jr., where, you know, in New York, he was great for the first couple seasons. He had the kicking net incident. He kind of, you know, forced his way out of New York. He signs with the Browns. Oh, they're this flashy team. You know, they have all these pieces on offense. And it, it's exactly what people were saying is like the only negative to this offense is that you have too many people to get the ball to. And that's exactly what happened with Odell Beckham. And so, um, and I think, you know, there's something to be said for the fact that, and you know, I, as much as, you know, the internet is, 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 you know, swirling around these stories and stuff, there was a video, I think it, it was, it was stupid, but you may have seen it. Odell's be, uh, dad posted a, like an 11 minute video of just like highlight reels of Odell yeah. Beckham, just like running wide open on the field. And he's like, get my son the ball. Okay, cool. Well, first of all, there's times when people were saying that Odell wasn't even running the right routes. He was just like doing that to, you know, to, to basically have highlights for the video to show. And that, so it was a broken relationship. Okay. And, and I think that, you know, so, so the, the question becomes then is like, is the same thing going to happen in LA? And we saw last night, the, the, um, on Monday night, the uh, one of the, fir- the first drive, I think, you know, Stafford just launches it up to, to Odell and Odell's nowhere to be found. He's, you know, on the other side of the field. And so, and it was a pick. And so that's kind of the growing pains that you'll have, but will we kind of see this, you know, egotistical nature kind of come out in, in Odell Beckham that, that we've seen in other places. And I think a good example of this or something we can compare it to um, is Antonio Brown when he was with the Steelers. He obviously at the end of, you know, his tenure with the Steelers, clearly a lot got out about how, you know, much he was affecting the locker room and kind of his personality. And again, these receivers are great and they deserve to have, you know, the ego and the confidence to say, I'm a great receiver. I'm not taking anything, you know, anything away from them in that sense. But like you see that for like eight years or however long it was, you know, Mike Tomlin was able to kind of maintain Antonio Brown's personality and his big ego and and so now and and then you know and right now he's he's on the he's on the bucks he got traded to the bucks he's been playing well he won a super bowl in his first year with the bucks just like brady did you know and so we haven't heard a peep right and so it there, there also might be this argument where okay you know odell beckham's this big story you know what's gonna happen i think to be honest we probably won't hear a lot from Odell Beckham because he's on a winning team with a solid coach who knows what the game plan is going to be. And he's just going to kind of fall in line. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that that's exactly what I was trying to get at with the whole idea of environment. Like if you put these guys in a place where they can perform and where they're actually winning, I mean, performing and winning, you can argue are, are, are different things, but I think that if, yeah, if, if you give Odell his touches and you, even, even if it's not as much as he may want, like if you're still winning, he's going to want to stay with that team. Cause yeah, I mean, who doesn't want a super bowl and who doesn't want to be play for a super bowl contending team. So that's, that's, that's just it. But I think that we've kind of covered everything in, in, in that area. And so there was another interesting thing that didn't happen last night, but it happened on Sunday. And that was the early window one o'clock games, Right. Actually, well, the crazy one crazy thing did happen last night, and that was the Rams losing by so much, but we've already covered that, right? But so it, this all happened in the one o'clock window on Sunday, right? So we had the Bucks lose to the football team by 10, I think it was. The Steelers and the Lions tied, okay? And then the Patriots beat the Browns 45 to 7. I'm really happy about that last result, but I wanna I wanna talk about I want to talk about the Steelers and Lions tying, right? So obviously the Lions were 0-8 going into this contest and the Steelers basically, Steelers had everything to lose basically, right? They just came off of a win and they're pretty, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, he, like, he, he was looking better and he didn't play in this game, which is another reason why they probably lost. But I mean, still, Mason Rudolph, like he he's proved that he can, that he can throw the ball and that he can be a, a decent quarterback when Ben is out. Right. But the, th- the thing is my, my problem with the Steelers and Lions tying is wait, okay, Matt, I'm going to, I'm going to check you on this. Did the, did the, did the Lions and Steelers go into overtime 16, 16? They did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So this, this, this proves my point even more. My thing with overtime in the NFL 
we all know that the the first drive is the most important drive in overtime by far because we know that the NFL overtime rules are just ridiculous. And if you score a touchdown in the first drive, you automatically win. Now, I have a problem with this because if if you're playing to score on the first drive, right, you're you're more likely to go for it on fourth down if you're even within field goal range, you're more likely to go for it on fourth down because you have a better chance of scoring. Now, the first drive, we can argue that the first drive in overtime may be what, like on average, probably like four to five minutes, which is around half of the overtime period, which is 10 minutes. But other than that, after that point, you have the rest of the overtime period to make just a field goal. And we can, and I'm just going to use this as a standard kind of like a standard candle almost and say that a 50 yard field goal, you, you'd be, you trust your kicker with a 50 yard field goal, right? Like I, I would trust any NFL kicker with a 50 yard field goal this season. We've, that's been a little shaky, but in general, if, if, if an NFL kicker should be able to kick a 50 yard field goal. So that means that you have to get to a minimum of the 33 yard line in order to trust your kicker to make a field goal. And neither team could even do that. And so I don't know. It's it's not I don't know. I, I do know that it's pretty ridiculous that any any team's tie in the NFL, much less the Steelers, couldn't even get past the Lions who have went 0 and 8 and have not shown like literally any resilience on the defensive side, at least. Well, so the one thing that in, in the overtime session of this game was that it it had started raining right at the beginning of the sec- beginning of the second half and it continued throughout the second half and into overtime. And yeah. so what ended up happening was I believe, I know that the Steelers fumbled twice within field goal range. There was a long pass to, I think James Washington or someone he followed he or fumbled on that pass. And then the Steelers were kind of running one, you know, more play to run out the clock and to, to get, you know, within like a, you know, I think just below a 50 yard field goal. Um, and Pat, Pat Fryermuth fumbled on, you know, the last play of the game. And so, and I think the lions did too. So, I understand where you're coming from. It, you should be able to get into field goal range at least. But I think this game proves the acceptance to your rule in that, like, both these teams did get into field goal range, and there were three fumbles in the three times they did get into field goal range. A lot of that had to do with the with the rain. And and I think again, you know, it's, it's just kind of the incompetence of the of the Lions, and then obviously the Steelers without without Ben Roethlisberger. But yeah, I agree. At the end of the day, like to go into overtime with 10 minutes to play and, you know, and 16, 16 all, um, and you don't get any points, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like, what are, what are we doing here? Um, it always just is funny though, because you then, then you see the stories that come out afterwards. I think Najee Harris, um, they got a quote from him and he's like, wait, we have, we're going to tie. He was like, how many overtimes do we play? And he didn't even know the rules. And so it's so funny how you, you get these guys to come in who it, it, it makes sense. It makes complete sense. Like in high school football and college football, there are you, someone will always win the game. There are enough overtimes to where someone will win the game. And in the NFL, it's just not like that. You just agree to just not win, which I don't think, yeah. I think that com- that's like the antithesis of football, right? Exactly. But, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's kind of, that's kind of what I was trying to get, get at too, is like, dude, there's, there, there's sports that you tie in, like soccer, you know, you tie in hockey maybe, but but even hockey, like it goes to a, a shootout and you don't like, you don't, you don't tie, I mean, the score will be tied, but you don't, the result isn't tied, right? So I don't know. I, I just think that, yeah, that was kind of my point too, is that football, like the NFL, the NFL just needs to, t- to change their overtime rules basically is what I was trying to say. All right. So let's focus on another top NFC team, many of whom consider or, you know, many people consider, uh, you know, the the uh, one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl this year. They were also the winners of the Super Bowl last year, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who went to D.C. and got their butts kicked by the Washington football team. And it was a wire-to-wire win by the football team. The Bucs never led. Um, and, and we saw that great drive at the end of the game. The, uh, the, the football team went, I think it was, it was like, it was like eight, 15 or 18 plays and 10 minutes. It was like the longest draw, like time taken off the clock in one drive in the entire NFL season. And it was completed by Taylor Heineke and the Washington football team against that, you know, feared and crazy and bringing everybody back Bucks defense, who, you know, w- was the reason that, that Patrick Mahomes was able to come back in the Super Bowl last year. So I thought that was an interesting result. And I think that combined with the result that we saw on Monday with the Rams losing the 49ers, it really kind of, and then obviously, you know, we have the chiefs been struggling, the bills lost, um, 
you know, I think it actually is kind of good to see that there's a little bit of parity in the in the NFL this year, where any team can lose on any given day. Um, and so, and so, you know, it's kind of where do we go from here? Well, I think that's the good part, right? It, you, it, it's exciting to be asking the question, where do we go from here? Because where do we go from here? We watch the games. We get excited about, you know, maybe this team can lose. Maybe this team can win. Um, and I think this is just going to be setting up for a really, really interesting playoff scenario where you won't have these juggernaut teams that are, you know, that are, that are going to be, you know, running their way through the playoffs and it won't be, it won't be interesting. I think we're going to get to see a lot more upsets and, and I'm excited to kind of see what the, the back half of this NFL season has to bring. Yeah. And I think to add to your point of both the 49ers and Rams, and also the the Washington football team and the Bucks. I need to kind of add to that, like to how they relate is, like I said earlier, teams teams can have other teams' number, right? So we so we saw last year. I think it was was it the was it the wild card round or the the, the divisional that the Bucks and the and Washington played? It was the wild card. Yeah. Okay. So the wild card round, right? The the football team stayed in there, right? I mean, they were. It came down to pretty much the last play or the last drive and you know, the bucks ended up winning and they ended up winning the super bowl after that. But we saw like Taylor Heineke again, balled out, dude. And that was, that was his first NFL start too. I'm, I'm pretty, yeah, it was his first NFL start and he did that against them. And, and, and again, this year they play, you know, for a second time in Heineke's career and he does the same thing, but this time it comes out on top. So I think, yeah, Matt covered the other stuff, but I, I think that that kind of just adds to the fact that, NFL teams have, you know, they, they can, they can remember results from, from, from past games. And I think that that kind of gets in their head a lot, a lot of times and it, you know, it, it hinders their, their, their playing in the result of the game. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Matt doesn't have anything else to say about that, then we can move on to the last topic. If you want. No, no I'm good. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so the last thing was, and this will probably be pretty short too, but the last thing was, the Patriots beating the Browns 45 to seven. And obviously the Patriots, if the Patriots beat the Browns just by a little bit, this probably wouldn't be a topic, but they beat them by 38 points. And that's a lot, right? We've, we've got Mac Jones continuing to prove that he could be the rookie of the year this year, or at least offensive rookie of the year. And yeah, I mean, the Browns, somebody can make a case and say, okay, well, the whole drama with OBJ this past week, you know, it's just gotten in their heads. Maybe even the absence. I mean, OBJ's pretty much been absent all season, you know, and from a practical sense, he's been, he's been absent all season. But I also think that, you know, the, the Browns, like, yeah, they didn't have, a, they didn't really have a running game. They had the Ernest Johnson in the game. They didn't have Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt and Baker Mayfield has been struggling all season, but like this dude, this Browns defense, it's more about their defense in my opinion, because yeah, they lost, and they only put up seven points, but the Patriots scored 45 points against the Browns. I mean, this is this is reminiscent of the typical or the classic Tom Brady and Bill Belichick just not letting up and just continuing to push forward and score every single chance that they get, right? And so the Brown, this Browns defense, they I mean, their morale could have gotten destroyed, and it probably did, you know, halfway through the game. But, like, dude, I mean, their defense has just – not shown up at all recently and it's 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 sad to see that these you know these new guys Troy Hill and John Johnson they both got them from the Rams in the in, in the um in the offseason and they I mean they haven't been what they were what they promised to be at least in, in Cleveland and I just think that this defense was you know combined with the offense was supposed to supposed to make the Browns this powerhouse in the NFL and obviously their offense has fallen apart pretty bad but I think the defense you know they were supposed to kind of be this saving grace and they they just really haven't been yeah and I think this is this is a classic Bill Belichick team right I mean you know we saw this a lot of the times when Brady was there they start a little bit slow people start asking the questions you see it in the media what are the Patriots doing you know is this finally the year? No, it, it always, you know, Bill Belichick, he's the goat. He's the goat. He knows how to get his teams on the right track. Um, I think he just, you know, there's a little bit of growing pains with, with Mac Jones, you know, kind of coming in and being the starter um, and he's performed really well. And I think that he obviously has the tutelage of Bill Belichick and John, uh, Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, you know, they, they, they know exactly what to do for, for Mac Jones. And so they're kind of, you know, they're just, 
they're running the plays and, and he's, you know, and he's executing. So I think it's, you know, it's a good sign for the Patriots going forward. Obviously it's not, you know, if you're not a Patriots fan, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, it kind of sucks because, you know, we finally had two seasons where the Patriots weren't good in making it to the Super Bowl every year. And now it seems like they're, they're pretty much set up for the, for the future here. So, um, so we'll see how that goes. All right. I think that wraps up the NFL section. Let's get on to college football. So the college football playoff rankings, the top 10, uh, well, the top 25, but the top 10 were released uh, on Tuesday night. And obviously pretty much nothing changed um, because not really anybody lost other than Oklahoma. We'll get to that a little bit later. The top 10 is as follows. Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, and Wake Forest. So um, I don't think, yeah, I think all the top set, the top seven teams didn't lose. Um, they all won. I think they all won by double digits or something. And so it's, it's not really changed um, as, as according to, you know, what it was last week. Um, but I think, you know, we do have some talking points here. And I think the first is, is clearly, you know, one of the three undefeated teams in college football went down and that was Oklahoma. They've looked a little bit off this year. Um, you know, they were nine and zero before the Baylor game, but not really, they hadn't really won any of their games convincingly. Um, and obviously we know that we, they had the kind of the quarterback drama between Spencer, Rat, Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams. Um, and so the question I'm going to pose to you, Hayden is, is Lincoln Riley, who's the coach of Oklahoma, is he truly a quarterback whisperer? Um, or so, so in other words, is this just a weird year because of the indecision at the quarterback situation or quarterback's uh, position uh, to start Spencer Rattler or, or Caleb Williams? Or did they actually have three straight generational talents to remind you um, Baker Mayfield won the Heisman? Kyler Murray won the Heisman. Jalen Hurts transfer from Alabama still took them to the playoff. And that's been their last three quarterbacks, man. I mean, that's a pretty good success rate. So I think the question becomes, is, is Lincoln Riley really the, 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 the guy who's making these quarterbacks great and making these Oklahoma teams great? Or are they just kind of getting lucky with the quarterbacks that they're recruiting? Yeah. So I think, I think you got to attack this from, okay. So you, you got to lay a, fain, a foundation first and say, right. Their past three quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, Baker Mayfield, and Kyler Murray, are all starters in the NFL right now, right? They've proven themselves that they can start, but I do have a problem with Baker Mayfield, and it's that he he's had time to show he's the oldest quarterback out of all of them, right? And so he's had time to show what he's made of, and he hasn't really shown that, okay? He's, he's had, you know, little, little bits of spark here and there, but he's he hasn't really been able to be consistent. And this year in particular, he's just been playing out bad. Now, Kyler Murray, we can under, we can, you know, we can say that Kyler Murray has proved himself and he's proven that he can be good. He's great on the ground, great through the air. And yeah, he has D hop, but other than D hop, he doesn't like his receivers aren't crazy receivers, you know, like they don't, they don't really, you could argue maybe Christian Kirk, but like in Arizona, they don't really have, a, you know, a, a dynamic duo like Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, or, you know, you could argue like Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson. Like they don't really have a dynamic duo of receivers where you can double one receiver and then the other, then the other really good receiver is going to be open. Right. So Kyler Murray, I think has proven himself. And yes, he is a generational talent. Jalen Hurts, on the other hand, Jalen Hurts, you know, was bounced around in college. He's kind of been, He's, bounced, he's been bounced around in Philly in the sense that, you know, he, like, had some time to play and they gave him his chance. And he, he proved himself to the point where they kicked Carson Wentz out and they said, okay, Jalen Hurst, you're going to be our quarterback. But I also think that – I also think that, you know, there's – like we said earlier, there's, there's a lot of guys in college that are just great in college. And all three of those quarterbacks, two Heisman winners in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and then Jalen Hurts – who, yeah, again, led them to the playoff and was a great quarterback in Oklahoma, right? So there's guys, there's guys that are great in college, but then the NFL is just a different level. And I think that, that it shows that, yes, Lincoln Riley is he, – he could – I mean, he, he can be considered a quarterback whisperer, but I don't necessarily think that that's the case just because – I mean, yeah, like you, you can never really tell – you can never really prepare somebody for the NFL 
because the NFL is just such a different level, you know, like you're, you're going, even if you're playing, even if you're at a place like Oklahoma and you're playing other big 12 teams and, and other ranked teams. And if you get to the playoff, you're playing, you, you know, possibly the top sec teams, but like those teams are still full of college players that most of which won't get to the NFL or even if they do get to the NFL, they're not going to do anything. So again, you're just playing against a different breed of players in the NFL. And I think that, yeah, you can, you can say, okay, well, if, if I'm a quarterback coming out of high school, I want to go to Oklahoma because they've had so much success with their quarterbacks going to the NFL. But I mean, at the end of the day, you, Lincoln Riley isn't preparing these guys for the NFL. I don't think, you know, unlike any other college coach. So. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think that, you know, we can ask the question, well, why haven't these guys necessarily been super, you know, successful as soon as they get into the NFL and kind of even, I mean, right, like, you know, kind of like Hayden mentioned, Baker's had a few years and he still hasn't looked that great. Why? Well, I think it's because that Lincoln Riley, as much as he is, you know, good with quarterbacks, I think he's good with offense, dude. That's the reason that these guys have been so good in college is that he has a great offensive scheme. He knows his stuff and he executes it. And so he essentially has it set up to where all that the quarterback has to do when they drop back is, is basically just look in a certain direction and then throw a ball to a certain receiver. It's, it's basically a script. It's like they're actors out there where like he tells them exactly what's going to be open, exactly where to look, exactly where to throw the ball. And, you know, and then it just comes down to arm talent basically. And so I think he's yeah. had a lot of good quarterbacks, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree that there, there is, there's a certain level of, you, you really only need a certain standard of talent, which is like, you know, basically just bar level um, to be able to, to be successful in that offense. And I think that, I think that that's kind of what he's got going on there. So in terms of him being, you know, a good coach, he's a great coach, right? He's a great coach. He's successful. He's done everything again. Um, but, but yeah, but I don't, I don't think that he is the quarterback whisperer um, that a lot of people are, that a lot of people are talking about. Um, the thing I wanted to get into next and, and kind of just, you know, overall reactions to the college football playoff um, top 10, top five. I mean, obviously, like I said, last week, we're going to have the Cincinnati conversation, um, you know, all the time. And, and we could go on for hours about all the, you know, the different possibilities of still what can happen. There's only two weeks left in the regular season of college football before, you know, before the playoff select or before the conference championship games and then the playoffs selected after that. Um, but there's still so many combinations of what can happen. So I'm going to, I'm going to give Hayden the floor and let him give his top four, what he thinks it'll end up being. Um, and then I'll do mine right after. Yeah. So I think the top four, you know, if, and, and we're seeing this kind of this week, you know, we're, we're seeing this trend where if everybody wins out, which it's impossible for everybody to win out because Ohio state and Michigan state, play I mean yeah Ohio State and Michigan State play this week and then Ohio State and Michigan play the next week after that or I guess just next week so obviously yeah there's going to be a lot of stuff that's shaken up here but I think I think like Matt like Matt said last week that I mean Ohio State's going to go in there and wreck both of these teams and they're going to come out on top and they you know it'll be interesting to see because like if if Ohio State wins both of those games and if they win it by a substantial margin in both games like, does that give them enough to hoist them above Oregon if assuming Oregon does win out? Now, like Matt said last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, but he thinks that basically he thinks that Oregon is going to is going to lose to Houston or they have a good chance of losing against Houston. And Utah. obviously, if that happens, Utah this week. So they're they're essentially Utah. Oregon has Utah this week and in their second to last regular season game. And then yeah. more than likely Utah is going to win the PAC 12 South. Oregon's going to win the PAC 12 North and they're going to face again in two weeks for the PAC 12 championship. And the, the percentage chance of Oregon to win both of those games is extremely low. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, sorry. I was tripping on Houston, but yeah. So Utah, right. So basically Ohio state, if they beat Michigan and Michigan state, they're going to win out. They're going to win the, the big 10 championship because if they beat both of those teams, why would they not win the Big Ten championship? And then basically, if Oregon does end up losing one of those games to Utah, they're, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's a no-brainer that they're, that they're going to go above Oregon, they're, that Ohio State's going to go to three, and then Oregon is going to drop down. Maybe, I mean, I don't, at that point, I don't really know who, four, who number four would be. And then that, again, if Oregon loses and Cincinnati wins out, then that gives Cincinnati – a chance and a very good chance to go 
So number four, because at that point, Michigan, if, if Ohio State does win out, Michigan State and Michigan will both have two losses, right? And, and then, you know, you, you can't put a two-loss Big Ten team ahead of Cincinnati team that's undefeated, right, and has won, has won their conference championship. So I think, I think my bold prediction here is just going to be to go with Ohio State at three and then somehow – Oregon loses. I'm agreeing with Matt here that, yeah, they're, I don't know if they're going to win twice against Utah. And then Cincinnati is going to go to four. That's, that's my prediction because if, if Oregon does lose, there's no other way to form the playoff in my opinion, than other, other than to let Cincinnati in. I think one thing you didn't mention was the possibility that Alabama will have two losses. And I think it's Alabama will win the rest the, the both of their remaining games. Georgia's going to win both of their remaining games. They're going to play in the SEC championship game, and that's going to be like the, the game of the century. I mean, that's going to be such a good game, and I'm and I'm super excited to watch that. Um, but the reality of the situation is if Georgia wins that game, Alabama's not going to be in the top four uh, because then that would be two losses. They lost the conference championship, and as good as the brand is, it, you know, if the committee's going to stay true to what they're preaching, they can't include Alabama in the top four. So in that, if that's the case, I would say, you know, and assuming that Oregon loses, I think you have – a play uh, you know uh, basically two of the top four teams two of the two of the teams who are currently in the top four won't be in the top four when they when the college football playoff actually gets here i think ohio state's going to move up to probably two you know by the time they win all their games because they're just they're they're a wagon right now they're on a boat race um here's your dark horse though oklahoma state all right they're nine and one they got, um, I forget who they have this week, but the week after they're playing Oklahoma, if they can beat Oklahoma and then beat either Oklahoma or Baylor, I'm, I'm, it, again, the Big 12 still has to work itself out. But if Oklahoma State can win out, win their next game, then beat Oklahoma, and then win the Big 12 championship, I mean, you're going to compare their schedule with, with, with Cincinnati's? Again, I hate to be, you know, the hater on the the 12-0 team who deserves a shot and whatever, but it's like if Oklahoma State played Cincinnati tomorrow, I think Oklahoma State would win that game, dude. Their only loss is going to be to Iowa State, who is a who is a legit team. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Oklahoma State kind of climb up the ranks here in the next few weeks and maybe, you know, take a take a shot, take their shot at making the college football playoff. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, so going back over the rankings again, we've got, we've got Notre right now we've got Notre Dame in front of Oklahoma state and Notre Dame, their only loss is to Cincinnati so far. And we know that Notre Dame isn't in a conference, so they won't have a conference championship. And I think that that, like that in itself just takes so much merit away from Notre Dame as, as a whole, like of, of, you know, in terms of having a chance to make it to the playoff is just because, Conference championships, like we've discussed so far, just have so much meaning to like who makes it into the playoff and who doesn't. And so I think I think Matt has a good point of Oklahoma State possibly passing Notre Dame. In and because right now, obviously, if if we were to you know just shift things around and just move Notre Dame and Oklahoma State up, Notre Dame would make it into the playoff before Oklahoma State would. But I think you're right, Matt. I think that Oklahoma State being in the Big Twelve and being in a conference and possibly having these top teams lose they could have a chance over Notre Dame and that's I think that's something that will surprise most people but then again you could make the case from for Notre Dame saying okay well if Cincinnati wins out then Notre Dame's only loss was to an undefeated team and they're pretty much the only ones that can say that other than Alabama if they lose to Georgia in the in the um in the SEC championship so yeah I mean it's Right. Like we're just <laughs> we're just trying to predict stuff right now and it, it, it won't happen until it happens. But right. I think I think that, you know, we've we've covered these these possibilities in a way that is fair and in a way that the college football playoff will probably also, you know, we'll, we'll probably think so. Next, we're going to move away from college football here and we're going to move into NBA. So one topic that is probably on a lot of people's minds right now, because there's always predictions about, you know, who's the coach of the year, who's the rookie of the year so far. And and I mean, any league, honestly, but I think the NBA mostly because, you know, we've been through what, like 15 games of the season already. And so our first topic here is 
who's the rookie of the year so far? And I'm going to let Matt go with his choice first. Um, it's, it's undoubtedly Scotty Barnes. Um, I think he's been, he's been performing so well compared to everyone else. There's really, there's really no one else who's even, who's even kind of, you know, doing anything close to remarkable as, as, as what Scotty Barnes is doing. And it's really interesting to kind of think back to prior to the draft, this past draft, you know, when you had all the hype around Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley and, and, you know, the, the, the European guys, I always forget the name, Josh Giddy from Australia, you had all these like names surfacing around and it was like, who's going to be, you know, who's going to be the one. And before, I think like in, in a couple of weeks before the draft, Scotty Barnes was like 15th um in in like the overall player ratings and kind of where mock drafts were thinking that he was going to go and then all of a sudden he did some workouts and people started realizing like this guy is an athletic freak and he started to shoot up the the player ratings boards and everything and he got all the way up to like five which is i think which is where he got picked with um you know with, with the raptors and you almost ended up up in this situation where like two weeks before the draft, he was significantly undervalued. And then like a couple of days before the draft, people were like, whoa, 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 hey, this guy is way overrated. Like he's, he's flown up the draft boards way too much. Like you can't draft him. And he proved everyone wrong. He was the correct choice and the Raptors nabbed him. And, and it's interesting now because it's, it's almost, he's almost doing for the Raptors what, Kyle Lowry basically has been doing for the past however long and kind of, you know, pulling that team along now that Kyle Lowry's in, in, uh, in Miami. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the Raptors were supposed to be a rebuilding team. They had the number five pick. They were, you know, okay, you won the championship a few years ago. All right, time to rebuild. And they're on their way to the playoffs this year. So I think it's, it's definitely Scotty Barnes. Um, and I think, you know, we can, we can, you know, I see if Hayden kind of mentions anyone else here. Um, I think he's obviously he's the kind of clear runaway, but, um, but I think it's interesting too how, a lot of the rookies just haven't really made a name for themselves. Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley has been probably the second choice. Um, he's been playing really well with Cleveland, and he's getting a lot of minutes because that team is bad. He just got hurt, though. I think he's out for the next couple of weeks, so so we'll kind of see how that goes. Um, but, yeah, but but let's see what Hayden has. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with Cade Cunningham. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to – no, I, <laughs> I was actually going to say the same exact thing, Scotty Barnes. I think, yeah, he, he is the runway favorite here. And just to kind of – throw some stats at you and fill your head with a bunch of probably things that you won't remember, but some things that will back up what Matt has already said. You, you got to so, give it to the people. Exactly. I, I mean, numbers don't lie. Right. So, so Scotty Barnes, he, he has played the most minutes or he has averaged the most minutes per game by about two minutes, more than two minutes, more than every other rookie. Right. So that automatically kind of gives him a boost, but with that, He's also had over a 50% shooting percentage percentage from the field. And that's better than every other rookie that's had like any more than like 10 minutes per game. And so every other rookie that's had, you know, a, a decent amount of playing time that actually does something for their team and actually, you know, can get shots up. That's every other rookie that does that is, is under 50%. So I think we have to give that to him. And also, I mean, yeah, he has, I mean, minutes per game and, and points per game kind of go hand in hand. And so he has, he averages two more points basically per game than, than Evan Mobley, who's in second place. And so Scotty Barnes averages 16.3 points per game, but also on dude, in, in terms of rebounding, right? So Scotty Barnes, he's, he's a small forward slash power forward. Right. And so we kind of see, you know, small forward and power forward play is changing as we speak. Right. I mean, we've got all these power forwards, shooting threes and, you know, playing basically like point guards almost in, you know, Porzingis and, and, and Kevin Durant. And so we don't, I mean, rebounds is, is, is kind of an arbitrary idea here, but like, dude, he's averaging almost three offensive rebounds per game and he's averaging five and a half defensive rebounding per, rebounds per game. So that combines for over eight rebounds per game. And that's just about what Evan Mobley is doing. Actually, that's more than what Evan Mobley is doing. I'm pretty sure. I think, um, yeah, Evan Mobley's averaging eight total, and then Scotty Barnes is, is averaging over eight, right? So, I mean, it, it's a small difference, but nonetheless, I mean, he's he's still winning in almost every single category, and his turnovers. I mean, he has he has like two, around two and a half turnovers per game. But again, I mean, that's nothing compared to Cade, Cade Cunningham's 3.6 turnovers per game. 
The only thing is that, again, you know, three-point shooting in, from power forwards is kind of increasing. And I think that that kind of gives this category a little bit of um, kind of knocks them down in this category a little bit because, you know, as a power forward in the NBA now, you're kind of expected to be able to shoot. And from three-point from, um, from, from three range, he hasn't really shown that. He averages like 0.23 three-pointers per game. So that's really the only category that he's lacking in. And, yeah, I mean, I think that he's the overwhelming favorite so far. And hopefully he can, he can continue that because, like Matt said, like before the season and, you know, even during the draft, like everybody was doubting him and everybody was saying, oh, he's not going to be – he's not going to be that guy. But, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'll take all the credit for calling it early. Obviously, we weren't doing the podcast before the NBA season started, but uh, I know I gave out a best bet every week, and I'll tell you right now, I put a bet on Scotty Barnes to be the rookie of the year before the season started at fourteen to one. I put thirty six dollars down, and I'll win five hundred if he if he gets rookie of the year. So I am in prime position for that. Um, I also took Nate McMillan to be the coach of the year, and he's his team is sucking right now. So I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> but um, let's move on to the next topic we have here, which is what has happened to the Lakers since they won the championship just a year and a half ago. Um, it, it they won the championship, the NBA Finals in the COVID year in the bubble. Um, they played the Miami Heat, who were the five seed, and you know they were a gritty team and got there. But it, a lot of people were saying. You know, how, how realistic was that championship? I think, you know, the reason they won was overwhelmingly because they had the most talent um, with LeBron and AD and, and then, you know, and Contavious Caldwell Pope going off with all his threes um, in the final few games there. But it's like, it was just so weird being in Disney World and having it all, you know, during the COVID year. And so credit to them for actually, you know, pulling through and winning it. And obviously LeBron, you know, won, won a championship with his third different team. Um, but But since then... Not much, right? They got to the playoffs last year. They were the seventh seed, and they got completely got just demolished by the Suns, um, who obviously ended up going up, you know, going to the NBA Finals. So clearly, the, you know, the Lakers got beat by a, a legit good team, but they didn't look great at the entire regular season last year. Um, and LeBron was hurt for most of it. And then, you know, he comes back in the playoffs and they just didn't have a lot of unity. They couldn't gel. Um, and, 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 you know, when we saw what happened there with the, you know, with, in their loss against the Suns, and, you know, it's ironic that we, I mentioned them being the seven seed because if the playoffs were to start today, and again, I, I know I keep saying this, but it's just, it's, it's what everybody else says. So you got to say it, but they are the seven seed right now at eight and seven of their total record. Obviously, you know, they're not doing terrible, but they've lost two games to the thunder who I mentioned, you know, a couple of weeks ago are basically trying to lose. Um, and, and, you know, and it just seems like, because LeBron's been out a lot, you know, too. And so it just seems like they're not really, at the place where they should be. And they're not really living up to a lot of the hype um, that, that they've kind of, ex that they've drawn since LeBron got there. And especially since they won the championship. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that there's another aspect to this argument and, and it's that basically, again, you have a bunch of stars and this is, this is always what the East we've always blamed the, the, the Eastern conference for doing this, that, you know, they, they just have, it's a bunch of guys that don't know how to play with each other and they have no chemistry. And it's just a bunch of stars playing on like random teams and just getting traded around and not really knowing how to play team basketball, which is what wins championships, obviously. And so I think that what's happened with the Lakers here is, is kind of the same thing. And it's that, you know, yeah, they're in the Western conference and it's happened, but it's happening to them. And I think that, I think the, the X factor to this Lakers team is Carmelo Anthony. And I, I, I hate to say it because yeah, he's old as dirt, but dude, he, every game that he plays well in, they pretty much win. Like they, they had that brutal loss. Like Matt said last Friday to the, to the thunder where they lost by like 30 or 40 points, but, and Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony in that game went one for 12 from the field and one for eight from three. And so like, if, if we're looking at it, if Carmelo Anthony scores, you know, 18 plus or maybe 20 plus points, like they're, they win, I think every single time. And it's like, is it really Carmelo Anthony? That's the, the one that determines if they actually do well, like if we would expect it to be LeBron or AD or somebody like that. And LeBron hasn't played recently, but like, it's, it's just weird how Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony has, you know, has had such an, such a big effect on, on this Lakers team. And 
yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just a testament to how like, st- you know, veterans in, in the league can, can still go off and they can still be, have a huge effect on their team. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I really hope that the, the Lakers can find it, you know, and when LeBron comes back, which I think is soon, hopefully they can kind of get it together and, and, and be better, but yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and I didn't even really think about the Carmelo angle. Um, I have him on my fantasy team and he's been going off. And so I, you know, I, I probably should have mentioned that, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, he, he, he has been playing really well. Well, yeah, he's been, he's been playing inconsistently, but when he has yeah. played well, he's played really well. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, we're kind of seeing the big trade with Russell Westbrook, not really shining through as much as maybe they thought it would. Um, but again, I think at the end of the day, like, they'll probably make it to the playoffs because the, and, and what they're probably doing too is like, Oh, you know, LeBron went like 16 seasons before he ever missed a game, you know, or had an injury, but I mean, everyone gets old. And so I think now what essentially what they're doing is like holding out LeBron in the regular, the entire regular season until they are like in desperation mode. They're like, all right, as long as we make the playoffs, like that's all that matters. And so, you know, we'll, we'll bring him back in whenever we, you know, desperately need to. Um, and, and I think, and I think they'll be fine, but but again, yeah, I mean, like, like we've been talking about, the West is stacked, and so it's going to be interesting to see if they can kind of even keep up with, you know, the, the higher seeds in the West. I mean, Golden State wasn't even in the playoffs last year, right? <laughs> um, or they were in, like, the play-in game or whatever. But, you know, and, and they're the number one seed right now, and they're, they've only lost one game, and Steph's ridiculous. So it's like, that's a team you weren't expecting to be good that now is going to be, you know, challenging for the number one seed. And so the Lakers still have to compete with that and everything. So, yeah, so, so we'll see how it goes, you know, for kind of here for the rest of the regular season kind of when LeBron comes back, they'll, I'm assuming that they'll probably bring him back closer to the end of the regular season so that they can kind of get gelled, like, you know, so that they don't end up happening. What did, you know, what happened last year, but then when he does come back, it'll be really interesting to see how, how it kind of goes with Russell Westbrook, because obviously we know, we know how he plays, which is, you know, pretty, uh, pretty out there and, and ferociously and, and, you know, kind of needs the ball in his hands, which is kind of what LeBron does. So, um, so yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I think just to add to that Russell Westbrook point that, I mean, clearly the Wizards won that that side of the trade with Russell Westbrook because we've seen that, I mean, the Wizards are doing well this season for some reason. And, you know, they, they I was talking with, I was actually talking with Will the other day and he was saying how they, I think before the season, it was like, it was the over-under for their, for games one was like 33, I think. And they already have like what like 10 wins or something and so yeah i mean they they literally need 23 wins over the next like 70 games of the season and they're obviously going to get that so you know and yeah i mean if you you could have put like a bunch of money on that and i mean but nobody knew right i mean the wizards like they they haven't been special in the past lot of years and so like you never knew that, that was going to happen but right i mean it's it's just kind of interesting to see how that happened right after the Russell Westbrook trade Moving on to our NHL segment, our last segment of today, we're going to begin talking about something that we had planned for last week. And so this is kind of not an outdated point, but it's, you know, it was, it was newer last week, but we're still going to talk about it. And we, so two weeks ago, we talked about the Panthers and Hurricanes. Actually, no, it was three weeks ago. Now we talked about the, the Panthers and Hurricanes and how kind of, you know, they're, duking it out for, for, for who's, you know, who's the surprise of the season. And they actually played soon after that podcast and we got an answer. And so I'm, I'm going to hand it over to Matt to talk about the implications of that. Yeah. Well, so that was like, that was like a week and a half ago. That was like last, last Friday. Um, and the Panthers actually won that game five to two. And so it was kind of this interesting, like, Oh, you know, both these teams are kind of come out of nowhere. Let's see who's going to get the dub. And it, and it was the Panthers, which, you know, at that point they hadn't lost yet. They were still, you know, they were still kind of playing out of their minds and they beat the the, the Hurricanes who were the only other team that, that was really even close to, you know, winning the amount of games and, the, the, you know, the amount of points they had. Um, obviously, since then, of course, you know, we had this great question lined up. Um, since then, <laughs> the Panthers have lost more games than the Hurricanes and now the Hurricanes have a better record than the Panthers. So <laughs> I think kind of things just came back down to earth. But uh, but they're both still in first in the in, in, the, in their respective divisions. So, um, you know, hopefully that can kind of continue. Um, but, but yeah, so it was just, it was just kind of funny to see like, you know, 
Oh, these both these great teams, they haven't lost. Who's going to come out on top? Oh, the Panthers came on top. 5-2, that's a convincing win. You know, and, and now it's kind of things have to come back down to earth uh, for both of them. But but I do think that, you know, they'll, they'll definitely both be, both be playoff contenders. Um, and again, it'll be good. It'll, it'll be good to see kind of, you know, how they're able to, to perform here down the stretch. Um, and, and then, you know, with having not really having a lot of playoff experience, I know the Hurricanes got there last year and they, and they ended up losing to the Bruins. But uh, but but kind of seeing like, OK, well, if the talent is great, well, I mean, the talent isn't amazing but the teamwork is good can that persist over a seven game series against maybe a team you know that you know that that may be a little bit more more talented um you know like the maple leafs like you know the the, the islanders you know some teams who have, who have kind of gotten a little bit further in the playoffs in past years um how they stack up when it comes time for the playoffs uh so so yeah but it was just it was just kind of funny to kind of hear that at the end of that kind of saga yeah that's that's yeah. It, it was kind of ironic that that happened, but I still wanted to include it, ju- kind of just to you know to to go over that. But the next thing that we have, and basically any podcast covering any type of NHL news would probably cover this because even if you aren't an NHL fan, you've probably heard about this trade, and that was the trade that included Jack Eichel going to the Golden Knights and he went from the Sabres to the Golden Knights and he is injured right now. So it doesn't really have any immediate implications or anything like that, but he he just got surgery on his neck and it's basically, I think it's to replace like a a plate in his neck or some kind of disc or yeah. Yeah. It it was a hernia. It was, it was a herniated disc in his back. And speaking from personal experience, I had a herniated disc in my back and it was the actual worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Yeah. Um, and, and so and thankfully I'm not like, I haven't broken any bones or whatever. So I don't, you know, that, it, it may be relative, but at the same time, it was insanely painful. But again, this was almost, it was almost, it was, I think it was, it was closer to his neck. Whereas mine was like in my lower yeah. back. So I basically just rested it for, you know, for a couple months. But the fact that he had to get surgery on it, it, it you know, it, it really just, it's kind of a sad situation. I was listening to, uh, to, to another podcast and they were talking about how there's, they've seen people undergo this type of, or kind of have this type of injury and undergo this type of surgery before. And, and it basically, it, I mean, it's, it's like, it's almost like a 50, 50 chance on whether or not the player will actually get, be back to his normal, you know, playing style and, and performance level. Um, and so, you know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to see like, how much potential he had and that he was just kind of stuck on the Sabres for a few years and we never really got to see what he could do to kind of, you know, revolutionize a team. Now he has the opportunity, but will he kind of be able to get back to normal? Even That's kind of the question. Yeah. And I, I was going to say the same exact thing, you know, I'm, I'm no doctor and well, neither of us are are, our doctor. Right. But we're dude, we all know that anything having to do any injury having to do with the back or the neck area, dude, that's like, like Matt said, I mean, a herniated disc, I, I have no doubt. Like, cause I remember I actually, cause it was like when we were younger, like younger, younger, when we were both still living at home and, you know, I think Matt was in middle school. Yeah. Yeah. Matt was in middle school and I was in elementary school. And so like, yeah, he could, he couldn't even move. And dude, it's like, you, you use your back for everything. If you've ever had back pain, you know, that like back pain is the worst dude. Like it, it's, it's, it's almost unbearable because you use your back. I mean, there's so many muscles in your back that you use that you don't even realize that you're using. And so same with, and if it's near his neck, it's probably even worse because you're using your back and you also use your neck to, you know, turn your head and stuff like that. And, and, and look around and in sports, you know, you, especially hockey, you got to keep your head on a swivel or else you're going to get popped. And so like, that's, you know, it's, it just adds to it that this injury, especially in a game like hockey is it's, really detrimental to a career and it's gonna yeah it's gonna be so sad if a guy like this goes out like this but it's you know it's it's the reality of it and injuries happen you know we've seen so many great athletes not just hockey players but just great athletes in general just get decimated by injuries and it's just it it sucks to see it but yeah I think the they were trying to give a timetable on and again like this is not an, an injury that you can really give a timetable on but in terms of the surgery usually the the timetable for return is somewhere between like five and six months after the surgery to even like start you know activity and like really physical activity and so we're looking at like maybe 
late. I think they said like the earliest is maybe late February that he comes back, but there's, I think there's no way. I think that you get him back. The, the earliest you get him back is probably, you know, March in, in the best situation. And then by that point, I mean, yeah, you're already like three, four done with the season or playoffs are right around the corner. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, you don't, you have him for at most that last quarter of the season. And then, and then you got, you got playoffs right around the corner. And yeah, I mean, if they can, you know, if they can sustain a, a winning record to get to the playoffs, then maybe you can come back for that. But like, still it's, you know, it, it, it it's so tough to see this kind of thing happen and, you can never really put a timetable on this injury, which makes it even kind of worse for them because then, you know, they just traded for some dude who might not even play hockey again. So Matt, do you have any, any more comments on that? No, no, I think that's it. But yeah, I think you did a good job of outlining kind of the situation and, you know, and, and, and yeah, and I think that's kind of why we wanted to talk about it now was to kind of get it out of the way and, or not get it out of the way, but, you know, address it and, and kind of have this, you know, kind of setting going forward so that when he do, when he does come back, hopefully he does come back and, you know, we can kind of start to watch how he does play with them. They'll probably make the playoffs, you know, like they have been, you know, they have ever since they joined the league. Um, And so, uh, and so, yeah, so hopefully he does get a chance to kind of gel with the team and, and stuff before they get to the playoffs, but yeah, but, but we'll see. So, um, so yeah, so that was kind of, we just wanted to kind of get that out there, you know, talking about the news. Um, and then obviously, you know, going forward, he'll be, he'll just be, you know, in recovery. So. Yeah. So that does it for our kind of like main content of, of the episode. And like we said, we would, we would get you guys that NBA and NHL content. And we did, I hope you guys enjoyed that because Right. I'm not I'm not the biggest proponent of those of those two sports, but I have been following them more than I usually do. And so I'm, I'm glad this podcast is finally pushing me to follow sports that I don't normally follow. But as we have done in the past two episodes, you know that Matt always butts in at the end and gives his oh, betting yeah. advice, gives his betting advice that may or may not go your yeah. way. But I'm but so so Matt has his segment here and I'm actually going to add my own little segment and it's going to be about fantasy waiver wire pickups that you might want to add to your team or just fantasy players in general that you might not be thinking about starting that, that you should start and that have upside this coming week. And so I'm going to let Matt go first with his betting situation. And then I'm going to talk about fantasy. Yeah, it's uh, oh boy. It's, it can go your way. It also can't go your way. It has not gone my way for the first two weeks. I'm Owen two against exactly. so far. Colorado, they were better than I thought. Baylor pulled out the outright win against Oklahoma, but eh, I we probably could have seen that coming. This yeah. week, we're getting back in the win column, right? We got Indiana. They're going to Minnesota, all right? Indiana is horrible. They are one of two teams in college football who do not have a win against a Power 5 conference team. It's them and Vanderbilt. They're, they're terrible. Okay. So at this point, we're getting back to basics. We're going to start winning these games. Back to basics means fading bad teams. Indiana's a bad team. Minnesota's not that great, but they still have something to fight for. If they win out in Oklahoma, or, and, and sorry, if Minnesota wins out and Wisconsin loses out, Minnesota has a chance to go to the Big Ten Championship. They have something to play for. They're at home. They're playing a terrible team. Indiana's down to like their third string quarterback. They have no offense. They got blown out 38 to three to Rutgers last week. They're going to do the same. Minnesota's going to do the same to them this week. So you already know what to do. Take Minnesota six and a half later points. There you go. Yeah. Indiana is absolutely terrible. And like Matt said, one of the worst college football teams and they're in a power five conference, but they still can't get it done. So after Matt's betting advice, I, I, I promise you a, a fantasy, little fantasy segment here. And my, my pick this week actually stems from a this, – this happened earlier to me, right? So I, I need a quarterback because Matt Stafford is on a bye this coming week. And so I need a quarterback in one of my leagues. And I went on, on fantasy waiver wires, and the first, the first choice, or like the, the guy with the most projected points on, on, fantasy, on waiver wires was – Actually, by a pretty large margin, it was two attack by low, right? So he was he's projected twenty points this week, and then the next the next guy I, I forget who the next guy was, but then the third guy he's projected like sixteen, and that is Mac Jones. And so I actually 
claimed Mac Jones this week because, dude, he's coming off of a 45 to 7 win over the Browns. His confidence is at its peak right now. And he knows he, I think him and Bill Belichick have this kind of, you know, possibly reminiscent of the Brady Belichick, Brady Belichick relationship where like they, 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 when they click, they click. Right. And so I think that he's finally gotten a groove into this offense and, you know, he hit Jacoby Myers for Jacoby Myers' first touchdown of his first receiving touchdown of his career last game. And I think that, I think that Mac Jones is just going into this game with a lot of upside. He's also playing, I mean, he's playing Thursday night, which, you know, limited rest is always kind of iffy for, for fantasy, but I mean, they're playing the Falcons and let's be honest, like the Falcons pass defense is so bad other, other than um, I, I forget it's AJ. What's his name? 24 on the, on, on the defense. He's like, he's like the best corner in the league in terms of numbers so far, Ooh. you know, on the, on the Falcons defense. All right. It's, it's number 24. It's AJ something on, on, on the Falcons defense. He's really their only hope, but again, Falcons pass defense, super bad. And Mac Jones, super pumped right now. I think it was going into the fourth quarter against the Browns. He, he almost never really shows any, any emotion. Like he'll, he'll pop a smile sometimes, but he, he never really shows much emotion, but I think it was going into the fourth quarter. He like literally skipped away from the, away from the line. And he started like going, he started going to those towards the sidelines and he started skipping and nodding his head and everything like that. Like he, you could tell he was pumped. And so I think he's going to bring that same energy into next week. And, and, or I guess this week really, you know, cause they play in two days. And yeah, he's, he's really going to sure get it in front. quick. Huh? They said they play on Thursday. So you got to make sure to get it in quick. Yeah, exactly. And you know, waiver wire, um, or wa- waiver claims end on, on Wednesday. And so, yeah, go, go ahead and claim him like I did. Okay. I'm literally telling you what I did. And so I'm putting my fantasy team on the line this week um, for, for this, for this hot take, but yeah. So that wraps up our whole episode now. Okay. So we just did our, 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 our little segments at the end of there. And yeah, I mean, I have, we, we hope that you guys enjoyed it next week. Again, we'll have our, we'll have our Thanksgiving special episode, I guess. And we will have a Thanksgiving segment in that, like I had promised last week already. And so, yeah, next week we'll have our Thanksgiving segment as well as some football talk, possibly some NBA and NHL talk in there as well. So be ready for that next week. And yeah, we'll be getting that content out for you guys. And we're going to switch the, the time that we post episodes to Tuesday nights when we can. The only reason that it was on Wednesday nights was because I couldn't, I was busy the past two Tuesday nights. So, right. Our schedule will now be weekly on Tuesday nights for the most part. And that's when you guys should be expecting an episode. So, With that being said, I hope you guys all enjoyed it and we will catch you guys next time.